This week is week two of our series, Evil Lives. That's what that bumper was about, uh, the series that we kicked off last week called Evil Lives. And um, I want to tell you, if you missed it last week, would you, would you go check it out? I think it... Um, I think sometimes there's there's messages, series that build, and this is definitely one that builds, but then there's some messages that are just like fundamental. And we talked about Genesis 1, 2, and 3 last week, and what I want to tell you is understanding some of the things that we really worked through last week are, are really foundational to a lot of Christian theology. And it's not just in understanding good and evil, it's in understanding who we are and what our place is in the world. And it, it actually creates a framework to help you understand what's going on in the world around us. And so check it out. Go watch, uh, go watch it on, on, online. Go check out the podcast. And if it's helpful to you, I see people doing this. I, I, it's awesome. Please share it. I guarantee you there are people in your lives that are looking at the world around them wondering what is going on. And, and the Bible provides incredible clarity in a confused world. And that's, that's a lot of what uh, I think I'm trying to achieve here on Sunday mornings. And so if it's helpful for you, I'd ask you to do that. Today, uh, we are talking about, um, we're, we're raising the question of evil in a way that I think is, is interacting with a lot of our lives every day in big ways, in small ways, and in a lot of ways we're not even aware of. And I gave you some homework uh, this last week to watch the, the film, The Social Dilemma. I hope you guys uh, did it. If not, it's still gonna, you're still going to be able to track. But um, I think that, that social technologies are raising some questions of evil that we, that we really have to think about and respond to. And that's what we're going to tackle today. Next week we're going to get into spiritual warfare. But um, today I'm going to talk about the real social dilemma as we keep moving forward in evil lives. Why don't we pray? And then um, we're going we're gonna to get into it. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for every, every person here um, this morning, either at home or in the room. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for all the ways in which you speak to us and which you are at work in our lives and all the ways that you protect us and all the ways that you're patient with us and we don't even see you at work or know what you're doing. Um, Jesus, I, I pray all those things as we come before you now and we try to wrestle with this thing happening in the world and in our lives every day. And I pray, Lord, that you're with us now as, as we open up your word and try to hear some things. Lord, as we bring your wisdom into the reality that is before us, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of every single heart be pleasing in your sight, Jesus. You alone are a rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> I want to uh, begin this morning by showing you guys a picture and saying, uh, does anybody recognize this person? Does anybody know who this is? Friend? Seen this lady? Maybe she's famous. No? Nobody? Okay. Uh, what, about, what about this picture? Does anybody know who this is? she your neighbor? Is she, maybe she's famous, a celebrity, a singer. Maybe she's YouTube famous. No, nobody. What about, what about this person? Does anybody know who this is? Is this a friend of your dad's? Is this, uh, is this somebody, you know, no, nobody knows any of those people. Well, actually that's good because none of those people actually exist. 
Those are all fake people that I just showed you that were generated by a new technology uh, really driven by artificial intelligence that with the click of a button can create a very believable lifelike face in seconds over and over again. And I, I spent way too much time on this website. They're all from a website that you could check out yourself called thispersondoesnotexist.com. And they're all fake people. They're all uh, generated. That's wild, isn't it? <laughs> because I look at those faces and I ask you who they are and I'm like, yeah, I saw that dude at the grocery store yesterday. Yeah, she cut me off in traffic the other day, right? Like I, those faces are so utterly believable that I don't know how you would even know or tell. And, uh, and, and it's interesting, the technology isn't perfect. I figured that out as I spent way too much time playing around with it this last week. But every once in a while, it'll get it wrong and it'll be utterly clear that something went wrong in the algorithm. Like these examples where a, a lady had matted hair or a foot mouth, um, foot mouth disease, right? Uh, uh, but those are like very few and far between. And um, what I can tell you is that 99 out of 100 times, it was a face that was totally believable. This tech is so good, you'd have no clue. You'd have no clue. And I don't know about you, but when I think about this, I'm kind of disturbed. Like, I'm deeply disturbed when I think about this new technology and this the potential and possibilities within it. I feel like I'm in a comic book and there's a supervillain who's about ready to utilize this kind of stuff. And it, it really, for me, raises a question that actually comic books raised and people have been wrestling with for a while. Um, it, when we have new technologies that have incredible power and potential, and the question is, is some technology evil? Maybe not all technology, maybe not just evil, but is there some technology that is like inherently bad, that's evil? Is there things that we can create that we shouldn't? Because the magnitude and the power that they have to tell lies or to manipulate or to uh, make people suffer or to push an agenda are, are so powerful that we are going to cross a line that we can't come back from, right? Um, are social bots evil? That's one of the applications of those faces, fake people on social media that comment on stuff. Are deep fakes evil? If you don't know what that is, we not only can... Oh, that is, that is a little creepy. Um, uh, uh, we, uh, deep fakes, we not only can create fake people, we can take real people and make, make them say fake things with audio technologies and video technologies. Um, uh, <laughs> are nuclear weapons evil, right? Uh, is my smartphone <laughs> uh, as many good things 
about it and as many things that I love about it is its potential as a conduit of evil too much in my life. I don't think we can dismiss those questions. I think we've got to wrestle with this. Are there some technologies that are inherently or maybe unavoidably evil, right? Um, and here's where uh, I think many of us have gone as we've wrestled with this question, because it's not new. I know people have been wrestling with it for a while. Um, in fact, I watched a movie uh, growing up called The Gods Must Be Crazy. I don't know if any of you guys saw it, where a bottle drops out of the sky on a remote tribe somewhere in Africa. Uh, this is a question that we've had, that we've asked, and many of us have wrestled with. And uh, one of the things that I think we've come to is this conclusion, most of us. This is actually basically where I am. Is some technology evil? No. No. I think technology is inherently neutral. I think that's all it can be. It doesn't have its own moral agency. It doesn't have free choice to do good or evil things. It just is what it is. And I would give the simple example of a knife that I'm sure many of you guys have thought about before. Like you take an object, take a knife, is it good or evil? And the answer is, well, it, it is neither. It depends on how you use it, whether it's a tool for good or evil. If it's in your hand and you're cutting vegetables or it's hot and you run it through butter, or if you're in surgery and you're able to exact out a tumor in somebody's body and save their life, that is a beautiful, incredible tool that's being used for good. But you put that same knife in the hand of someone out for vengeance or destruction, and that tool can be used for evil. But it's not, it's not evil or good in and of itself. It just has the power and potential for both in what it is. And that's where I am. That's where I still think I am when I've really wrestled with this question of technology and the possibility of it inherently being evil. However, here's what I think that I've come to really have my own eyes open to and my own breath taken away. It's that when it comes to some technologies, the power and potential of evil is so big and and it almost sometimes seems like with broken humanity, it's inevitable. And this is where I think we really have to do some wrestling. And this is what leads me to um, the social network. How many of you guys did your homework and have seen the social dilemma? Hey, better than the first service, all right? And God does track those things in heaven, just so you know. Um, and... Uh, uh, if you haven't, I really would encourage you to watch it. Um, I think that if you, to understand what's happening, uh, whether or not that film is totally accurate or parts of it are overstated, it, it doesn't, th this film really helps you grapple with the way social technologies are affecting and having an impact on human society and culture today. And what actually is so alarming from this film is the folks who, who are whistleblowing are the tech insiders who built this stuff themselves. These are execs and CEOs from Facebook and Google and Pinterest. Uh, the guy that invented the like button, who is not sure if he still likes it, right? This is really interesting, and these people are worth listening to. And I just want to raise up two of the concerns that I think are worth us being very aware of, and then I'm gonna offer some biblical wisdom as we navigate through them. Here's the first concern. Social media doesn't sit there, it seduces you. Social media doesn't just sit there. Social media actually seduces 
you. Have you ever had that experience where um, you don't know when it happened or remember making a conscious decision to do it, but there you are uh, in a place sometimes where you shouldn't be on a date at work, in a meeting, checking your phone, looking at Facebook, on Gmail, and you're ashamed because you know you shouldn't do it, but somehow it was just there, right? Have you ever been there? <laughs> uh, that um, is a very common experience, and uh, this is uh, Tim Kendall. He is the former uh, president of Pinterest. Uh, he also worked for Facebook and Google, and he shares an experience that he had in the movie where he said, I was, by day, working to build the Pinterest platform uh, all day long, and then I would come home, and what I was doing was uh, finding myself hiding in the pantry from my family, scrolling through Pinterest. He said it was classic irony. He was creating this thing that he himself couldn't get away from. And, uh, and when he shared that, I thought to myself, that's not shocking. It's sobering because I can relate to it. And I think many of you guys can too. This is a powerful little thing that actually tends us towards like psychological addiction, like ways in which we can't put it down, ways in which we find ourselves using it even when we don't want to. It has a power, and, um, and that's not on accident. It's because this technology is isn't a, it's not a neutral thing in our lives. And here's, here's uh, where I think there's a, an example given in the movie that was really helpful. This is a fellow named Tristan Harris, also a tech insider, and um, he does a really good job drawing a contrast here. I gave the example of a knife. Harris gives the example of a, of a bicycle. And he says, if something is, is really a tool, it just sits there. It, it waits patiently for you to use it. And doesn't that make sense? That's how most of technology and those tools that make our life better have existed in our life. A bike sits in the garage. The knife sits in the drawer. Your computer is the, in, in a room waiting for you to turn it on, for you to move the mouse and to wake it up again, right? But here's the thing that, that he points out. When it comes to social technologies, especially since they got integrated into our phones, no longer do they, do they sit there. No longer are they just waiting to be used. They're actually saying, hey, David, here I am over here. Hey, somebody liked what you did. Or somebody sent you an email, right? Uh, or, hey, get your daily prize on this game, right? Like, that is what is different. And it's a buzz in your pocket. It's a ding on your phone. And, and what, what Harris points out is that's a different kind of thing. This, it, 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 if something is just a tool, it just sits there. But if something is not a tool, it's demanding things from you, it's seducing you to engage it, right? And, and, and why, what is happening, this is what I think I didn't really understand when Facebook came out when I was in college and I just got on it and was like, this is interesting. And then I avoided it for six years and then came back because everybody was using it, right? I, I realized this is a cool place to connect with friends. Now that I have kids, here are my kids, everybody, right? And I, and I wasn't consciously thinking about what, what was happening. This was a business, that it was a model. And probably many of you guys know this, but the way that the, the thing that's happening is they're monetizing you. This is what 
the social dilemma points out is that we are the product. It's our time, our attention, and they're selling our, our, our eyes to marketers trying to, trying to sell us something, and they're selling our behaviors in whatever forms they can find them to big data. And, um, and that's how it works. And so what, what happens if this is the major goal um, is the bottom line. <laughs> I'm reminded here of a verse from First Timothy, which says, the love of money is the root of what? All kinds of evil. And it's not the love of you that the algorithm's driving for. It's not your best interest. It it's actually doesn't care about you. It cares about you to the extent at which you'll click and watch and keep engaging. And so it doesn't have your best interest in mind. It doesn't care about your marriage or uh, whether or not you're present with your kids or whether or not you're addicted. In fact, it would really love to have you very addicted because with every click and engagement, it makes more money. And that, y'all, let's be clear, as these programs were designed to do that, that's not a neutral tool in our lives. It has its own agenda, its own desires. It, it's, 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 it's a new level of, of technology. It's, it's a dangerous thing. Here's the second thing that um, I think the movie really brings out. So, social media fortifies false realities. This is socially the big challenge with what with, that we're, honestly, I think, I think a lot of what we're seeing today is a direct result of this that's happening. Social media fortifies false realities. This is another uh, tech insider named Justin Rosenstein, and he explained this. He said, when you go to Google and you type in climate change is, what you're going to actually find is Google is built so that you don't, we don't all get the same answers. Uh, you are going to get different results depending on where you live. And so he says, in certain cities, you're going to see it autocomplete with climate changes, dot, 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 a hoax. And in other cities, you're going to see climate changes, dot, 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 causing the destruction of nature. Two totally different answers, influence based on where you live in two different places, you ever hear people talk about two different Americas? This is absolutely part of what's happened and what's gone on. And, 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 and again, what is because the bottom line is your engagement, the algorithms that drive these things, they don't care about reality. They just don't. Like, I, this is part of what's trying to be regulated, is these things have driven towards engagement. And, and, and like, Google is clearly not interested in answering that question. What it's interested in is getting you to click and to keep you engaged, right? And, and uh, what, what, what these algorithms have discovered about humans and our behavior is, guess what? When we ask these questions, we like to hear things that we agree with. <laughs> we engage things that affirm our existing beliefs already. So uh, that's what it gives you. That, that, that's what you're being fed over and over again. And, and we, we are losing this kind of peer-reviewed, vetted um, kind of sense of this is, this is what is, not to say that that was ever perfect, but, but we're instead like going down these little smaller and smaller niche sources that affirm these realities that we, that we want to have affirmed and so we're hearing what we want to hear. We're believing what we want to hear. We're deeper and deeper into it. And we can't believe anybody would disagree with us. And then one day we go and we storm the White House. 
And just to be fair and even-handed in, in that, um, you know what is so interesting to me? You know the word that is suddenly now back in style? Truth. You know what people are, are calling for? We need the truth. We've got to know what the truth is. That's how we get out of this. They're right, by the way. But what, what, what blows me away is for decades, this was a word not in style. In fact, the same people were not interested in truth. And, uh, and, and, and that's my generation. I think we are, uh, we are right there. I was trained by college professors. Most of them said, truth's not a thing. Ultimate, absolute truth doesn't even really exist. I remember having conversations over and over again with my peers who said, you have your truth, you, I'll have my truth, and we'll just kind of do our own thing, right? And now, we don't want to live with the logical outworking of the reality that we set up. We made this bed, and now our society doesn't want to sleep in it. And I'm going to tell you what I've always thought about this. Uh, moral relativity is a lie from the pit of hell. And it's tearing our social fabric apart. And it will continue to do it until we again understand and really embrace a real truth. And, and, and stop talking about things like alternative facts and fake news. New terms that we've had to invent since these social medias have been leveraged in this way. We need the truth we cannot def let people define reality for themselves. And, and we cannot have individual versions of truth, right? I'm not saying we don't tolerate and respect and make space for one another. I am saying if we're ever going to, if we're ever going to live healthy relationship with one another, there's got to be a truth above all of us. And it's God's truth. And that's what last week was about. Genesis 1, God created and it was good. And he's the definer of good and evil. And he's the definer of truth. And, and, and if we let go of that, we do it to our own peril. And, and evil lives, right? And I, I think it's so interesting. There was this moment in the movie where they got to this conclusion on their own for probably very different reasons. But it was the words back in style. This guy, Tristan Harris, said this. If we don't agree on what's true or that there is such a thing as true, truth, we're toast. He's so right. He's so right about it. Okay? All right. So great. You're sufficiently scared. Where does all that, <laughs> where does all that leave us uh, this morning? David, are you telling me that technology is neutral at best but probably not good, inevitably evil? Right, David, why are you on social media then? Right? David, uh, <laughs> What do you want? Do you want me to be Amish, right? Is that the solution? To be Amish. And what I'm going to tell you guys this morning is a little Amish might look good on you, actually. Seriously. I think we need to wrestle with this. And I think, uh, I think there's wisdom here that we haven't considered out of our own inconvenience a lot of times. And so I want to offer you some biblical wisdom, some theology that will help you learn and just in some small ways, how to navigate and things to be aware of as we deal with social technology. Here's the first one. When engaging social technology, remember, you are prone to sin. Remember, you're a sinner in need of a savior. That's biblical language. And um, there is such an interesting, another interesting spot at the beginning of the film. You may remember it if you watched it, where they say, what's the problem with social technology? What's wrong? And there's this moment of suspense that gets built because these guys don't have an answer. 
One of them swallows. One of them kind of looks down and put his hand on his head. One of them just goes, you know, and kind of backs off. And I think the problem is they don't have theological language to really, to really know that, that the social dilemma isn't just a, a business model that needs to be fixed. The social dilemma is the result of a broken humanity. Okay? And that, that's the problem underneath the problem. I'm not saying that the business model isn't a problem. I'm saying that there is a deeper issue that, that leverages itself against the potential for evil in the world and in our lives. And that is actually what's going on here. And, um, and uh, the Bible calls this sin. The Bible says sin is what happens when we miss God's intent for us, when we miss God's mark. And when we don't choose the good, we're going to corrupt the good, and ultimately the result is evil. And so every time there's a potential for it and we don't choose the good, we ultimately end up leading to evil. And that's what I talked about last week, that we're prone to this, that it's actually in our human nature to do the things that we ought not to do, even when we know we ought not to do them, which is what Paul says in Romans in one of the most helpful verses of all times. He says this, the trouble is with me, for I am all too human. I'm a human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself or I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I relate to Paul. And I bet you do too. And um, I know it's not popular to talk about this, but I don't know how else we make sense of the potential for evil being manifest. If technology is neutral, where else is it coming from? It's manifest through us, through, through our choices, and we don't need to be naive about our own sin when we engage social technology. When I got my phone in my hand, I need to know that I am a sinner in need of a savior. And without God's grace, I'm going to do stuff and say stuff and think stuff and go to places and be led to places that I shouldn't. When you engage social media, remember you are a sinner in need of a savior, that you're prone to sin. Okay, here's a second piece of that. It's also really important. When engaging social technology... Remember, everyone else is prone to sin too, okay? This is, in theological language, the warning of the social dilemma. This is what these creators of the technology are saying. This stuff, we're, we're sorry. We did some stuff we shouldn't have had. It went places we didn't anticipate, right? And it's dangerous for you. It doesn't have your best interest in mind. What it's actually trying to do is, is monetize your time and your attention and, it, and it's not going to care about the things that really matter to you, right? They, that's what the social dilemma is saying. And there's a scripture that comes to mind here as I think about if that's true, then what? Um, Proverbs 22.3 says this, The prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So, so simple, so straightforward. Proverbs are wonderful. But... Just think about this. Hold your hand in your phone. Hold, hold, hold your phone in your hand. The prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. Think about that, right? The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. This is a dangerous tool, right? That's what, that's, that's what we got to think, that there are things in our lives that we have to see and be aware of. And you know what it might be helpful? Envision this not as a phone, phone but a shotgun. Okay, would you hold a shotgun without a safety? 
Like, would, would you just carry it around and do whatever you wanted with it? I think that's the kind of potential and danger that, that exists, and maybe I am overstating that, but you guys get my point, right? This is more than a piece of material. It is seducing you, and there, there are other people on the other side of it who don't give a rip about you, who are trying to get you to engage it. First Peter 5.8 also really comes to mind here. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We're going to talk about theology, Satan, and demonic activity in the next two weeks. But um, I, I just want you to hear this. It's not just your own sin. It's other people's sin, too. And on top of that, there's a force out there that wants that wants the opposite of what God wants for you. That's not interested in your good, but that's interested in evil. And just to share a story here to really make this come down to the level that I think we're all, a lot of us are living in. I got a phone call from a family this last year who had an experience that they were really concerned about and didn't know what to do about it. They, um, they discovered on one of their computers that one of their young children had encountered and gone places he shouldn't have gone. He saw pornography. And, um, and when they were digging around trying to figure out what happened, um, he, uh, they actually found out he never intentionally went looking for this stuff. Like it never was in his heart, oh, I'm gonna go do this. It didn't make sense, he was, he was young. And what happened was he saw one image, he got curious, he followed that, saw another image, led to another place, and then he ended up seeing things that he had no business seeing at all. And um, how did it happen? You know, uh, the family actually recognized that they weren't on top of it enough, right? They felt bad about that. Like this, he was on computer because of virtual school in the same room as somebody else, but still, like it happened. And not only was it that one time, they realized there were all sudden push notifications popping up on the computer, inviting him to come back into it. Yo, that is the devil prowling, or prowling around like a lion. And we need to name it what it is, right? Everyone else is sinful, and there's a force that wants nothing but the worst for you and your family. Thank God it is the weakest force in the world compared to our Lord Jesus Christ. But we need not be naive about it. Uh, don't ignore the danger. Don't opt for convenience or the path of least resistance. And if we're going to err, y'all, this is just David. But I will tell you, I think I've, I want to do my best to err on the side of being too conservative here, okay? If you see grandkids running around with no cell phones and a really particular haircut, know that we went the Amish route, okay? That's, that, that's, that's what happened, okay? Uh, here is um, also a book recommendation that I've been reading that Shannon and I are going to really sit down and wrestle with. It's, um, it's called The TechWise Family. And it's written by a fellow named Andy Crouch. It's deeply theological, it's super practical, and it's uber challenging. It will challenge you. This is not always easy or convenient, but the last thought actually comes out of Crouch's book. It's, it says this, use technology. When engaging social technology, use it for good or don't use it at all. Use it for good, have the intention of good when you use it, or don't use it at all. Um, in the book, Crouch has 10 tech-wise commandments, 
And these are things that he's tried to do and his family realized, kind of brought it all together. And the number six one, he says this, we use screens for a purpose and we use them to gather rather than, together rather than aimlessly and alone. We use screens for a purpose and we use them together rather than aimlessly and alone. And I thought about that and I was reflecting on it and I was like, that is so wise. It's so simple, but you know, it solves so many of the challenges and problems that we walk into when we're on screens, right? Being alone, don't do that. That'll solve half your problems, okay? A lot of the other times when we sit down and uh, we, you know, you sit down and you start scrolling through Instagram and then two hours later, like, what did I do with my life, right? That's because you engage social technology aimlessly, If every time you engage it, you have a purpose and a plan and an intention, one, you have to name it. So if it's a terrible plan, right, you'll hear yourself say it. And then two, uh, you you put boundaries around it. You say, this is what I'm doing right now. And, uh, And I just, there's a scripture that really brought that together. And if I'd offer you one to reflect on, to meditate on, it would be this, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, I've been thinking about this. It says this, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I I originally thought of this passage because that phrase, in these evil days. What it it is, as I kind of leaned in on it, it's saying these days that we live in aren't inherently evil. There's a potential for evil in them. There's things that can grab you and catch you, right? And, and that, it's saying, be aware of that. So if that's the reality, how are you supposed to live? Well, here's, here's the scripture. Don't act thoughtlessly without an aim or a purpose, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Have a reason that's a good one for engaging. It's what, it's what he's saying. And, and you ask me, why are you on social media Here's my answer. One, I do it carefully. Two, I could probably do it more carefully and more intentionally. But three, here's, here's the reason I do it. It's not a, a horrible stumbling block to me, and it's my mission field. This is how I reach people. This is how I share the good news uh, about Jesus, not in overt Bible-bashing ways, but just in who I am and the way I live with my life. And I know that that's where people are. And if, if I can be a force for good... On social media, you better believe, as long as the Lord's grace is with me, that's what I want to try to do. And, and that's the purpose and the intent. And I just offer you, maybe you could ask the same question. Say, God, what good do you want me to do when I am on here? Do you want me to encourage somebody? Do you want me to write a note of gratitude? Do you want me to make 30 minutes and just say some things that bless people? Uh, and, and I'll just offer that to you. Maybe that is the way that you ought to use social. And to summarize, friends, uh, use tech for good or don't use it at all. If tech doesn't do good for you or those around you, don't use it at all. And in all things, in all the ways that you use technology, let it lead you to God's good. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and the ways in which you challenge us and speak to us in the plain way your word just clarifies some things and says shakes us and says be careful 
be wise, be prudent. I, Lord, pray that there's no unnecessary burden on any shoulder this morning. But Lord, I pray that the burden is the one of the Holy Spirit to follow you and to let you guide us through the valley of the shadow of death into paths of righteousness and streams of water that we would know you and trust you and come to love you for the way that you deliver us, a broken people and a broken humanity, uh, out of out of temptation, out of evil, and into the glory of your risen Son. We love you, Jesus. We give you thanks, Lord. Holy Spirit, be at work in our lives. In your name we pray, God. All right, I think the kids will be back in here in a minute. I did not expect to be faster than them this morning, um, but I am, and here we are. Uh, we finish our service every week to, uh, with communion, and one of the reasons we do that is because it gives us a chance to respond, to remember God's grace, to, to say, God, I hear you, I'm here, I'm at your table. And, um, and let me say, you don't have to be any partner or member here of Redeemer to, to receive communion. If you repent of your sins and call Jesus your Savior, if you're willing to follow him as your Lord, you are welcome to come around this table and join with us this morning. And if you're at home, just grab whatever you have and bread and drink and I'll bless it and you'd be a part of this this morning. Um, if you do that, if you make that decision, some of us may make it for the first time. We want to know that. We want you to follow Jesus. Would you let us know so we can help you in that journey? Would you text the word follow uh, to that text line that we have? And um, we'll throw up the number on the screen in a minute. Uh, but uh, we, we'd love to walk and celebrate that with you. We like to take these first few moments of communion and just pray. Uh, as the kids are coming back in, just pray. Quiet your heart and your mind. Let's get before our Lord. Confess our sins. Say what we need to say. Be quiet and ready to receive. Let's go ahead and do that now. Jesus, um, in your mercy we come. In our brokenness, we recognize your brokenness at this table and on the cross that saved us. Lord, we repent of our sins. We know that we have not followed you in ways. Lord, we know that we have broken your law. We know that we have not heard the cry of the needy around us. And Lord, we, we just pray for your mercy and your grace to enter into our lives to be renewed here at this table this morning. And um, Lord, I pray that in our heart of hearts, we would know in the name of Jesus, we are forgiven. And in our heart of hearts, we would know that you actually, by the power of your spirit, do move us forward into paths of new life and streams of goodness that come only from you. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would see those things and we would follow them. In Jesus' name, we now pray these words that you taught us to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On the last night that Jesus had with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you take this bread, eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. After that meal was over, Jesus took a cup and he lifted it up. And he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. It's a new covenant that I make with you and with many. And so, Jesus, we come before you as part of that many who know that we are redeemed by your broken body and saved by your shed blood. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and make this this be real for us right here and right now. And that by the power of the same Spirit, we would be one with each other and one with ministry as we share this good news with all the world that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and one day our Lord Jesus Christ will come again. If you have not yet done so, please go ahead and um, eat. You guys are finishing up. Let's go ahead and, and stand and we'll sing. glad you guys made it today uh next week uh we're going we're going there we're going to talk about the devil and satan i hope you will join us here but most of all i hope that you guys go in peace knowing that our god is bigger than those things bigger than all these things uh go in peace in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen